Welcome to Let's Drone Out, the original and best drone-themed podcast. We record the show live on a Thursday night on youtube.com forward slash Let's Drone Out, and our lovely patrons help with the editing costs. These are... Wacky Wes. Mikey Dread. Art Faulkner. Carlos Campos. Thank you. Let's Drone Out Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Drone Out. Uh, tonight, we are joined by our Lord of Master, Andrew Slash Frank. Good evening. My darling wife. Bonjour. Uh, the lovely, beautiful, talented Blue Owl. Oh, thank you. Hello, everyone. Everyone's favourite curry kitten. Hello. And the amazing Ben Hack. Hello. And uh, tonight, and I'm bright until I fly. And tonight, <laughs> we are talking about right to repair. So, uh, Ben's covered a podcast just recently with uh, Lewis Rossman, who, if you don't know, he's on YouTube and he uh, runs a uh, Mac repair in New York, like a little, you know, like MacBook repair. And uh, he's like campaigning to go against right to repair this summer we've well, had to be for right to repair yeah for yeah and uh this this summer over here we've had new legislation for right to repair um rules put in place which kind of help things but i mainly wanted to to cover this episode as a an excuse to talk to ben <laughs> and see whether we can convince him Ooh. that FPV drone racing is something he might want to have a go at. And failing that, if he gets too bored, he can talk about Linux commands <laughs> with Curry Kitten and <laughs> and try and teach us stuff about electronics. So uh, you used to be uh, you used to run the uh, Ben Heck show on Element Fourteen, and well, I didn't done... I didn't run it. I was. Just like the star, the talent, or whatever you, you call it. But um, yeah, yeah, I did that for uh, eight years on YouTube. That's, yeah, that is some service. We, we, our show's five years now, and uh, slowly going down in popularity. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always like you know the the, the peaks and valleys. Uh, 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 it's just pure trough here um, <laughs> that Tony eats out of. But um, yeah, we've all kind of got into electronics because we fly these uh, racing drones. You might have seen them; they're like made out of carbon fiber, and oh yeah, uh, they're they're super fast and and deadly, and they'll follow you home and spy and on the, your your, it, your wife. It, it has a fixed camera on it. There's there's some gimbal stabilization, stabilization I assume, right? No fixed camera, and mm. uh, we whack a GoPro on top. And uh, that's how we that's how we roll. And, what do you uh, race? Where do you race them? Like through obstacles, obstacle courses, or houses, or electric wires? 
yeah uh yeah we can set up courses and we sometimes have bandos uh, a lot of us mainly fly freestyle or just for fun um and yeah you can have uh race gates with it's got a analog vtx transmitter uh video transmitter on them and we can use that for the the spike in signal strength uh gives us our lap times and stuff like that and or we can just fly and dive big buildings or have good fun and all like that oh that's why um, you run a you run a gopro so you have a high resolution image on it because what's transmitted is probably a low a low bandwidth yeah yeah we keep it nice and low for latency that makes sense oh especially yeah. if you're racing yeah yeah so but you know we we still crash and stuff but there's uh you know slowly there's been new technology and stuff i mean i'm sure you've seen something on github github yep <laughs> not as only our camera angle fixed but um it, there's a whole subgenre in flying so it's like as a beginner you'll be flying it quite flat as you mm-hmm. speed up you're leaning the quad further forwards and thus your camera angles going up. Blue Owl's a psychopath. She flies at 65 degrees. So if she's landing, she's just looking up at the sky all the time. Well, that's how helicopters work, right? They're usually slightly forward or angle. Am I, is that wrong? Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's yep. But generally not 65 degrees. I'll <laughs> <laughs> just kill you. <laughs> 65 degrees would almost be like a flying pancake, right? Well, we're all like that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You you either look at the sky, or if you're lucky, you can look backwards. Um, <laughs> yeah, because you're then, I suppose if you flew at that angle, you're basically pulling yourself through the air volume sideways, right? For speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Same. I mean, you can go any in any direction, really. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to tell when you have such a different angle because the thing is your direction of flight will be totally different if your camera is tilted. So you can't really tell whether you're going upside down or you know, <laughs> yeah. forward. You can't really tell with such a high pitch anymore. Yeah, and also when you fly that like that, your becomes roll and roll becomes your. And the only benefit we can see is if she accidentally crashes into a wall, she just sticks herself to the wall. That's the only... <laughs> We've done extensive testing on the reason for Blue Owl. Best, best way to crash. Yeah, that's, that's actually true, yes. <laughs> that's one of the things you can say for sure. Let me ask both, both yourself, Jack, and Ben, what is the current situation with the right to repair, both in the UK and the US? Oh, here we go. We've got a yeah, a little thing which oh, is covering up our guest's face. <laughs> Very self-explanatory. <laughs> well, no, I like the I like the stick figure. That, that implies I've lost weight, so that's. Fine. I saw my name and see. <laughs> no, that that one was Tony. Yeah, do you want do you want me to do you want me to go through it quickly? Oh, I think you should. I mean, that was a great diagram. Yeah. Yeah, plus we're, we're an audio podcast as well, and our audio listeners... <laughs> oh, yeah, but I'll, I'll, re- I'll read it out. <laughs> yeah, okay, just, fair enough. Describe it in excruciating detail. I was a bit scared of it, like in case we, we were to get sued. But initially, it's a, a picture of um, a stick figure, and it goes, this is Tony. He's hypothetically bought a new pair of BJY goggles, but he's having a few problems. Silly Tony has accidentally, in the next box below, has accidentally and hypothetically plugged 6S into his goggles. 
tone. I don't know. I don't own any DJI goggles. This is a, digi a digital video system, by the way. But if you plug 6S into them, do they blow up? Apparently, they can take 6S. Oh, the, the V2s well, can take success, but let's let's suggest for the benefit of the diagram, it can't and it would explode. Well, no, B, B, BJY ones can't. Okay. A question, what's 6S? Oh, um... Six-cell battery. A six-cell LiPo battery. Oh, so you'd be looking at, uh, what, about 23 volts? Yes. Probably a little bit more than that. Yeah. 24, 25 are fully charged. It, it then flows into can i get parts to fix it myself and then it, it it says no at bgi we don't sell parts directly to the customer hypothetically and then the next flow diagram is well you can go two ways if you go not if you go the other way and you go if you do by third party it goes to the box at the end that says you avoided your warranty hypothetically this is your fault go away um, this is your problem. And in the center is, can uh, can I send them to a local repair center? At, no, at BG, BJY, we don't supply those parts to local su suppliers. Uh, you have to send them directly to us. So the combined cost of shipping parts and labor work out more expensive than, buy, than buying the new model, hypothetically. Oh. And then you can flow into the other ones of you avoided your warranty if you're open to have a look at them. Uh, you we've decided not to make that anymore or go away this is your problem <laughs> so, yeah so that that was my way of of like making this slightly more relatable to fpv and that slowly uh although we've got the open source sort of uh route that most of us fly on there's a lot of like closed source uh, hardware and software that we don't have access to and the more the further we go on and if there's not no longer a competitor for uh digital uh F, you know fpv then we will be forced into these sort of situations and uh to go back to your question ben in uh does the uk have right to repair Ministers have confirmed that uh, from this summer, consumers will have a right to repair on goods that they buy. Manufacturers will be legally obliged to make their parts or products available to customers for the first time. There's now a new legal right for repairs. This was um, published on the 10th of March. Uh, oh, that's good. So um, this summer in the UK... Uh, manufacturers will be legally obliged to make spare parts in the hope to cut CO2 emissions from making new good uh, from making new goods. And this this comes from the UK Eco Design and Energy Labelling Regulations 2021, requiring levels of repairability. So, right. on, when you when you buy a new like you know white good goods, you know you have, you've got like the energy efficiency label. You know, and it's like A all the way to, is it F or something? I can't remember. But uh, there'll be a repairability scale um, and a CO2 emission label, I think. Oh, a white good? What is that? Uh, uh, fridge, uh, large oh. white goods that we have in our kitchens. Fridge. All right. Kind of like how they have like the Energy Star rating stickers. Uh, at mm. least they do here. It's like, this is how much energy it'll consume over a year. That kind of stuff. Yes. Oh, so it'll be on that. Actually, I had to fix my refrigerator. I think it was last year. 
So, yeah. But my fridge, well, it's like seven years old, which means it's, you know, it doesn't have, I don't even think it has any microchips in it. Well, I mean, now they have fridges with like the hook up to your cell phone so you can be at the grocery store and look inside your fridge and see what you're out of. <laughs> that that exists I, now. I, cool. it took me like, it took me ages to find my washing machine. I wanted a really up to date smart washing machine without it connecting to my phone. Mm. So it was like trying to get the maximum amount of like, you know, usability, like hygiene, steam, steam uh, I don't know, drum clean and all that stuff. We but are not you, talking about drones today. I'm really Right. Sorry. But if you, if, you, if, you, if you get a fridge like that, it ends up having all this connectivity that you didn't want. Yeah. Oh, it would be kind of like trying to find a dumb car nowadays. It'd be pretty much impossible. I mean, that's that's going to be a huge... I mean, now you're talking about drones, but I think in the future, like right to repair as far as vehicles, that's going to be a big issue because, you know, they cram so many microcontrollers into a car these days and all of the code on those microcontrollers is proprietary software owned by the companies. Yeah. I was I was shocked as well to hear every time they talk about bringing out uh, car software, they, they seem to write it from scratch, which is like madness because it seems to be like, well... And I got sort of figures of 150,000 lines to sort of half a million lines of code for the average car, which is like, that's crazy. How, how write, many bugs can be in there? They write it from scratch for each model or each model year or what? They, they, some people seem to, 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 to put it out like it's some sort of big thing. It's like we've, we've thrown away the old stuff and we're writing it. It's all new stuff. And it's like, well, that's madness. When you've got something that's existing, surely you want to build on top of that and take the existing stuff that's working well. I've never heard of that before. I mean, if that's what they do, that is madness. Unless they like, you know, like employing tons of programmers for some reason. Like, let's give them lots of work to do. Because, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, think think of something like a Toyota. I mean, like the frames on those stay the same for a decade. So, you know, it's all it's engineering is about using as much as you can from the past because then you don't have to redo it because you know it works. Standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. Well, no, but it's not necessarily that. It's just that, you know, if you if you have, I don't know, like, let's say you have your CAN bus system that, oh, it's doing a really good job of talking to the airbags. Like, why would you rewrite that? That seems strange. I don't know. That's everything. Mm. Oh, not not everything. It's like whenever there's like a new model, it's like we're, we've we've redone this thing and we're doing something else with it. That's that's what I that's what I saw with some stats somewhere. I, I can't I can't back that up with actual figures. I might be wrong, but I thought that's what I saw. But yeah, I've I've had to strange. reboot my car sometimes because it's like the the phone system's just going at me instead of someone's voice. Reboot your car? You mean restart it? Yeah, essentially. Well, it's the same same difference, isn't it? I'm turning off and on again, and suddenly it works. Correct, because it's basically reinitializing everything. How is it? It yeah. must be a fairly new car. Uh, it's about four years old, but yep. you know, it's still got like a, a everything's linked to the, the the main computer, and and thus, if uh, something's going wrong or some sensor's going wrong or something like that, it's it's often the case of like if we turn it off and we turn it back on, and then suddenly it works, and then you'll find out mm. when you get it serviced, it'll get updated, and I'll put some new firmware on. Oh, <laughs> lovely! Well, we live we live in an age now where we need firmware for our light bulbs, so there's no limit to things we can put firmware on, or but firmware for our socks soon. Uh, yeah, well, that's well. That I I don't know. There's a YouTube channel. It's uh, Rich Rebuilds. He 
buys scrap or wrecked Teslas and he tries to put them together to create working Teslas. And even that it's, it's quite complicated and Tesla parts are really expensive. And there's, again, there's microcontrollers everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem. Like if it's going to cost you a thousand dollars to fix your windshield wipers, because, Oh, we got to have a special microcontroller with digital signal processing. So the, you know, we have a beautiful windshield wipe. <laughs> that's, I mean, we're pretty much already there. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. It gets worse with that. You know, you're saying about the, I'm, I'm a big fan of Richard Rebuilds as well. Um, mm-hmm. With the, 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 the Tesla, you know, they, um, they glue the cars together. Um, yes. And glue with the spot rivets. And do you know how they're assembled? Everything goes through the windscreen. Not through the doors. So there's certain things, like the back seats, you can't remove via the doors. You have to take the, the windshield out. Yeah, they only weld them just enough to hold the pieces in place as the glue cures. Yeah. Actually, it. I believe that's most manufacturers now, not just Tesla. Actually, I yeah. uh, visited the Tesla plant in uh, Silicon Valley a while back. It's pretty cool. It w- used to be where they made Toyota Matrixes in America, but then... Elon bought it. Yeah, that was back when they were still still using the eighteen six fifties. But now, of course, you know Nikola Tesla has reinvented the battery by making a different shape lipo battery. So he's you know super genius, obviously. I was going to talk about planned obsolescence. Um, oh yeah. So like that that is another factor of, of right to repair, and um, yeah, that came up during my talk with Lewis. Yeah. Um, so, like things that that we kind of have or like uh, use will sort of like fall into this. So, like DJI don't con- uh, don't uh, continue to su- uh, supply parts for older copters. So, like um, if you own anything like a uh, Phantom Three or Phantom Four, um, gimbal parts are uh, become increasingly rare, and you're trying to force down that third party um route um one of the things that we can all relate to is um the gopros the high definition cameras that we use um their repair scheme does not offer repair to go- uh, gopros involved with uh damage by any U- uavs or, or or drones so you can buy the uh repair cover cost scheme with them but if you mention to them i think curry's got a story if you mention (laughs) like they were like how was this damaged if you say drone um any part of this they they refuse to repair it so it's fine if you accidentally dropped it down the stairs yeah it's kind of weird because like you think if you had like someone skiing and they had it on their head and they crashed into a rock you know, um, you know, 180 pound skier going down a mountain is actually going to create a lot more force than the impact of a small drone hitting something, and that's yeah. okay apparently. Hmm. Yeah, I was oh. say what happened to me is I, I had a little GoPro session, the little square one, and I had a a weird little accident. I, I only put the quad into the floor, not a great deal of thing. But what happened is there's this little it was aluminium or something thing on the back that just peeled off, and it's just like a a little tiny piece. I thought this is going to be like $5. And it, it sort of brings on a lot of points because if you find up GoPro and say, oh, I just need this replacement part. This has just peeled off. I just need a new one. Slap it back on there. Be good as new. And then like, I'm sorry, we we don't do spare parts, which comes to like the, well, why not? This is, I don't want to throw it away. This is a good camera. And um, I had a very weird conversation with them where they say, we don't have, we don't do repairs. We don't uh, fix things. 
uh, we replaced them. So, and I, I did mention, they said, what happened to it? I said, oh, it was flying on my drone and it it, it, it peeled off and it, it crashed. They said, well, we can't help you. So th- the next time I call back, it's it's a bit like being in a prison riot and someone's interviewing you and say, what happened? And you say, I don't know, I didn't see it. Perhaps it just fell or something. Um, <laughs> saying that yeah. means like, oh yeah, send it in, which is bizarre because we're in the UK, you send it to holland or something and they send you back a refurbished one uh because i was like well what do you do with the old one and they say we use it as spares for repair and then i'm like well i thought you didn't have a repair center what's going on with it it was a very weird situation but if all they need to do is sell like a tiny piece of aluminium for like a couple of dollars or something and well that's one that's one thing that failed obviously there's a lot more that could fail on one of those if i had to guess probably the reason for doing that is Ah, GoPro is a pretty compact device and it's kind of all sandwiched together. A lot of it's glued together. It's probably one of those things where the labor it would take to refurbish it is probably not worth what the camera costs. That's kind of a big problem. And, you know, maybe they're, who knows, the refurbishment center might be in China, you know, not Holland, where they can basically get the cost of the labor so low that it actually becomes worth it to fix it. But, I mean, if you've ever taken one of those apart, it's very compact. There's lots of thin ribbon cables. It's almost like an electronic sandwich because it is it is so compact. And, yeah, it's, well, yeah, in that case, it's faster to send you a refurbished one than to sit there and fix that one. So they probably have a huge queue of, you know, the broken ones or the spares. And then, like, the, you know, that's what something Lewis Rossman talked about. I was like, where do you get your spare parts? He's like, I get them from dead machines because, yeah, you cannot buy the new parts. But then, so, yeah, you end up you end up being like, a well, I guess you guys are all UK? Um, except except for Oh, okay. Well, I was yeah. going to say, you end up being like a farmer where you have all these junky tractors in in your field so you can pull parts off of them. And that's kind of how these repair people have to be. They have to basically scrounge for parts. Now, a lot of people are scrounging for parts these days with all of the chip shortages, but I'm just saying this has been going on for a long time. Uh, yeah, so it, it's unfortunate. I, I think, I mean, I think there is, well, obviously there's always like, you know, a capitalistic part of it too where it's like oh it's it's not worth it to fix this and that's happened with electronics in general um they make things so cheap that it it's not necessarily because they don't want you to repair it's because they want to make it as cheap as possible you know like just like a tesla you know your phone is glued together because it takes like a tenth of a second for a machine to drive a screw i mean there's reasons they do it They, they do it they 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 don't they don't necessarily build it to say, haha, you can't repair this. It's more like we're building it as cheap as possible. And because we built it as cheap as possible, that makes it more difficult to repair, making it less feasible to repair. But what I want to know is how much more expensive would it be for screws? Well, if you take it like, you know, however many screws there are in a device and then you multiply it by 10 million iPhones and then you're like, oh, we got to have the screw and the, and the time it takes. Now, if you open up something, there's tons of screws inside of it. But also, not just that, it's like, oh, Look at how beautiful. Well, this is a Pixel 2. It's not that. It's old. Tony's it's like, got a new phone. They're like, ooh, I can't have screws in the back of my phone. It's a fashion statement, right? Like Apple's got the Apple logo here, and then you get the case, and it has a hole in it so people can see the Apple logo. That's a fashion That's a fashion product at that point, <laughs> not, not electronics. And so, again, I'm just saying the consumer is bringing it on themselves as well. I'd like you compare that to, I've got to have something here. Oh, yeah, here we go. A good old Casio graphing calculator. You know, it's got screws on the back, but this would be considered ugly by today's standards. I mean, I think it's beautiful, but uh, 
Yeah, I think that's a, you know it's a big part of it. Or waterproofing. You're like, oh, you can drop your phone into the ocean and it'll be fine as long as you pick it up in ten seconds or whatever. And <sighs> glue is a really good way to make something waterproof. So it's not all about malice. A lot of it is a byproduct of just how things are made and also the kind of features consumers want. Same thing with a small <laughs> GoPro. It's if a GoPro is easier to fix, it would end up being bigger. I mean, to be quite honest, it would be like a, a regular size camera. And so, the, you know, there's a, a yin and a yang there. I'm sorry, what were you saying? I, I was just saying, didn't didn't Apple in some of the early iPhone days put some sort of uh, thing in their phone? So if you dropped it in water, it would sort of show up. So people that accidentally yeah, dropped the, it in the toilet and take oh, it into repair. Every, every, like, every, no, you've dropped this in water. Everything. Everything has that. A Nintendo Switch has that even. Um, yeah, it's there's just little stickers that turn pink, and there's usually ah, two or three of them. But yeah. yes, it's very common because, you know, it's like insurance. They want any excuse to not fix it or to make you pay to fix it. Yeah, because so. over in uh, in America, I don't know how, like, it's different in every state. You kind of have to, if you're persistent enough, they have to prove that it was you that damaged, caused the damage. Yes, it it does vary by state. Uh, it doesn't vary a whole lot. And then going back to the right to repair, I think uh, Lewis is starting in Massachusetts, I believe. I can't remember. Oh, yes, because Massachusetts has one. Yeah. what? Yeah, I think I think the like, right to repair started winning over there. I think right. <laughs> well, because um, you know, if, if talk about it from a political angle, like. The United States of America is a democratically elected representative republic, which means if you go to Congress, I can't say, hey, Congress, vote for right to repair. It's like, no, you elect someone and they vote for right to repair. But in Massachusetts as a state, because yeah, I, I know sometimes I know America is baffling to a lot of other countries. It's almost like 50 little countries, kind of almost like the EU in a way. Um, at the state level, sometimes yeah, you have to. you'll you'll have you'll have a direct ballot initiative and massachusetts as a state in the state constitution they have the option for a direct ballot initiative which can be like okay voting season okay residents of massachusetts do you want to legalize pot yes or no and if it's over 50 percent, you get pot or same thing right to repair massachusetts so that's why he's starting at the state level and also in that particular state but once you get like to the you know, at least in America, once you get to the federal level, you're going to have Apple, Nintendo, and everybody else vomiting money at all these senators and Congress people to not do it. <laughs> I'm paying them not to show up at meetings. And- mm-hmm. Oh, and another another big one: uh, the the John Deere, the people that make all the farming equipment. They've, yeah. I mean, farmers have known about farmers that got hit with right to repair long before any of us. It's just ridiculous because these companies use. Planned obsolescence and services like Apple. You know, I was like, "Ooh, Apple's a trillion dollar company." Apparently, it's okay for Apple to be a giant evil company, but not other. You know, it's like it's like, "Ooh, we love Apple," but it's because so much of it is services and repairs division, where like they make money based off the fact that they overcharge you to replace a battery in your phone. So by siloing the repair structure into their own, you know, the Apple store versus like Lewis Rossman, they have that actually as part of their profit structure. So, Mm. yeah. So it makes it more difficult to break, makes it so you cannot buy the parts, but Apple of course can get the parts. And then that way they silo more of the repair at an inflated rate, even though they don't pay their employees more into their own corporate profit system. And, And what I told Lewis regarding this 
I keep wanting to say Louis, but he's not French. Um, I keep wanting, I, I said, you know, the really way, the way you have to drive it home is with cars because, you know, if my car breaks, I can go to, you know, there's like five different auto shops within walking distance. Even. Yeah. Independent. And that's what, you know, people are used to. Right. But you get to the point, like with a Tesla, guess what? You can only take it to a Tesla dealership, which is why Tesla's are not only expensive, but they're actually more expensive to insure. Wait, insure with an I want to make sure I get that right. Um, because the cost of repair is higher because there's usually a waiting list for repair and there's only one place to do it. Unless and, you go to the electrified garage. Run by. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Richie. Um, send me a T-shirt, yo. Uh, oh man, what was I going to say? Do we need this this Kakari disclaimer? Uh, or it's probably too late now. We've talking hypotheticals on a company yeah. that's not DJI. We're fine. Yeah. So, is this oh, becoming sorry. a is this becoming a problem with your drone uh, enthusiasm? Enthusiasm. There's definitely some more walled gardens appearing and becoming more popular. So, I mean, there there have always been some on the periphery, but the 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 biggest one now is that the DJI, who are the the, the kind of the big player in in drones generally, um, have released uh, a a kind of camera system um, that is being adopted by more of the kind of race style drones. Um, which is the DJI HD FPV system. So whereas uh, sort of traditionally we've been using analog um, like CCTV cameras, like tiny little board cams with uh, analog video transmitters and analog video receivers, which is right. you know, just using PAL or NTSC or whatever. Um, now it's it's using a kind of proprietary encrypted uh, protocol, which means that on the one hand you get the, the really nice HD image um but at a low latency because they're doing magic and we don't know what it is um but on the other hand it is closed so for example where they've released a new product that is their own drone that it has kind of their own camera in it if you have their goggles and you connect it to their new drone all of a sudden the old systems that they were producing that we'd been kind of incorporating into our drones, all of a sudden you can't connect to those without a lot of faff trying to reflash it and things. Were the old systems analog video? Or, so, or so, so I'm so sort of the, the old, old system. So the, uh, are analog and most of us here are still using just analog systems and it's just, uh, pal and that's all fine. And, and that's all completely separate, but there are some people who have bought, uh, the DJI HD uh, cameras, HD transmitters, and HD goggles, and have been putting those cameras and transmitters into their old carbon fiber uh, type uh, drones. And then DJI have released a, a new a drone that is all kind of included in one. So rather than having a separate um, camera and transmitter that you're including into a build, this is just one ready to fly product and if you get your um, someone else might have to correct me on this if you get your goggles to connect to one of those new proprietary drones it won't connect to the old uh or not very old but you know months old uh transmitter and camera that dji released so it locks it out from using Mm. past revisions yeah do you have to update the firmware when you make it work with a new video I'm just kind of wondering where the break point occurs. 
Um, yeah, I think that's that's probably the case. That is just a, a case of it's new firmware that it's using. But um, that's my that would be my guess. But yeah, uh, I don't well, know. I, I mean, Brandon, there get it back to that previous mode, as I said. But you have to. There's a lot true. of options to go back and forth to to eventually get there. You have to reboot reboot into FPV mode. What I was led to believe is that. Um, oh, and then rebind it. Yeah. Oh God, that's really handy. Um, what what I uh, from my take of it was they released a, a version F- FPV goggles V1, and you had little standalone. You had something called an air unit, which had the the VTX and had a little camera that was connected via you know those uh, weird cables where they have to laser the ends off and then sort of them the tiny tiny cameras um and that was that was the sort of like digital ecosystem that we could integrate into these carbon fiber quads because before then they've been uh selling ready to fly uh drones like the mavic the the phantom stuff that you probably have heard of and their venture their sort of like crossover was hey guys we've released digital fpv little standalone units they had a company uh another company called uh cadex that made a slightly cheaper sort of smaller version but that ha- didn't have diversity antennas on there so there wasn't there was only one antenna on there on the little and we call them cadex units and then they released the v2 goggles and the reason why they made the v2 was because they included this sort of in-between drone which is called um, the DJI FPV, which allows you to have different levels of flying, ones where it would fly and hover itself and you just push it around the sky. You still had like the stuff like return to home. And then you'd have um, something we call like uh, angle mode where you would, you'd be able to steer it around, but it would always return to like level. And you've got like this OG button that you tap and it kind of saves itself and um when they released that if you bought the v2 goggles on their own uh you couldn't there was some sort of registration problem like when you buy these goggles you know essentially goggles to what you know look through a cctv camera um you have to register them so like with them you know it's like it's like buying a car and then being like, oh, no, we sold you the car, but you've got to register this car, <laughs> not only to the, the the licensing people, but to us. We want to know who you are, you bought this car, and what you're using it for. I, I don't know whether that's... Well, uh, yeah, you see that You see that all the time. I like It's like, oh, I bought this, um, you know, like a smart plug or whatever, right? But if it's not the same brand you had before, guess what? Now you have to sign up for their app, put it on the phone, and even even to connect it to the same thing, like one of those Alexas or whatever. Yeah. It's like, Oh, they, they want a password and a username for every brand of app. And it's, it's annoying, but that's kind of what we come to. Uh, the, I, I was thinking when you're talking about uh, broadcasting analog video, that probably takes up a decent amount of bandwidth. What, Absolutely. Uh, what frequency does it broadcast at? 5. That 9. is at 5.8. Um, gigahertz. Yeah. Okay. All right. Would you would you like a breakdown of the, <laughs> just yeah, so, for you, Ben? <laughs> oh you know, boy, a table with me. 
that lists all, all the frequencies. And what's it's the okay, max okay. number we can get in the air, Frank? Using uh, the, the right spread about six, six reliably. Yeah. yeah. All the way. It's always from... good fun though when when you you're flying around and then someone else switches on and suddenly you're looking for your goggles and you can just see someone's shoes. <laughs> that's a, a little bit of a, a tight bottom moment. Yeah. Sure. Well, I, I, the reason I asked that, I, I was thinking about, you know, when they switched over from analog to digital television mm-hmm. and you guys have analog or digital radio over there too. Like what's it called hab or slab or something. D-A-B. Dab. <laughs> yes. Um, they do that because, you know, you can take, Oh, what's TV six megahertz. Uh, NTSC mm-hmm. is six megahertz of width. Never the then, same color. <laughs> Never the same color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, we there a, have, is there an acronym for Powell as well? Aside from phase alternating line. Yeah, I know. Well, uh, yeah, then, well, no, Powell is better, so we don't make fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah. But so if you take that six megahertz, and if you turn it digital, you can, you know, it's like the the what the reason they did it was because they wanted more bandwidth for cell phones, right? So I, I kind of wonder if there's going to be a point where I mean they could. Again, the government could actually stop you from using analog mm. video transmission in the future. Well, I'm sure there's restrictions on it anyway for whatever your version of the FCC is. Like, you know, the transmitter range can only be this. You can only transmit in certain certain frequencies. But if you go digital, oh, you know, the same space where you fit one analog signal, we can fit five HD signals. And I guess I'm kind of saying what could happen down the road is you guys might just get pushed into that. Either, yeah, the analog stuff is... Well, it would, Absolutely. Still, it would still work, but the bandwidth could get, you know, reallocated. Yeah, yeah there's that's that's a kind of perennial rumor that goes about is Ofcom are gonna remove the unlicensed band around five point eight gigahertz. Um and especially with kind of uh five G being there and sort of taking up all the other bits of, of spectrum that are kind of available. Um and you know, the the, the spectrum is definitely getting more and more crowded. Um, you said it's five point eight gigahertz? Mm-hmm. Is it five yeah. G like twenty five? I think it's quite a bit higher. Oh, yeah, than that. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just mean there's there's bits of so five G includes loads of different frequencies, but it's basically just bits between other licensed bands. Um, so some of it is like sixty gigahertz, but some of it is a bit lower. Um, but it just I just mean that in terms of there are there is more and more bits of the spectrum being licensed off um, for yes. applications like that, um, and so you know. The, the the yeah like you say the likelihood of this unlicensed band around 5.8 gigahertz being all of a sudden licensed um is is, is getting yeah that that's getting more and more likely well, but at the moment there's no nothing credible saying it's going to be licensed anytime well, soon i i don't think danger would be that it would become unlicensed it might be oh in order to use this unlicensed band you have to use a higher efficiency transmission mm, system mm. which would be your digital system yeah i i mean unlicensed in terms of uh, at the moment is basically between this megahertz and that megahertz you right. can do whatever you like in that spectrum and right. uh, there's a, there's one at the 5.8 gigahertz um for a little bit of that and there's also another one that's commonly used around 433 megahertz which is where all the kind of garage door closes and and bits and pieces like that and yep. uh light switches all that kind of thing um or older ones uh that's where they are around and yeah so there's you know that's that's the kind of issue is yeah uh spectrum licensing um and so at the moment, it's definitely become more busy just on mm. the amount of 5.8 wi-fi you, you certainly mm. notice that if you're flying like indoors with something like this uh the amount of devices especially with most people at home 
you're just seeing lines all over the video where it used to be fairly clean. It's just like just big Wi-Fi routers like bursting out of amazing amounts of um, strength. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know when people are like, oh no, I mean, um, it's like all oh, the ISP is trying to screw over my phone and take the bandwidth. It's like, well, yeah, maybe, but. The electromagnetic spectrum is a finite thing. You know, you can't create more, you know, unless you actually have quantumly charged particles tunneling and stuff like that. Until we do that, yeah, there's a finite spectrum of, you know, eventually you get up into visible light, you know, if you go too high. Uh, Yeah. I guess we kind of got off the subject of right through. Yeah, so that's, kind that's of what we're learning stuff is fine. So what, what we're kind of saying is that, you know, there's this, uh, you know, to be able to get a low latency digital video system, um, there is currently this this very closed uh, kind of ecosystem, which they initially made very easy to incorporate into the sort of uh, sort of you know. So basically, uh, they want West. you they want you to buy a new drone to get it. Yeah, exactly, and then and they're kind of making it more and more harder to integrate into the kind of traditional way of doing things. You know, make it easy to get into the walled garden, and then harder to get out. Um, Especially if yeah. there's like really special sauce going on with the encoding, which there very well mm. could be. It could be mm-hmm. doing oh, who knows? It could be doing predictive image reconstruction and stuff like that. You're know, like, I don't want to say AI, but almost, you know. Yeah. yeah. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. I mean, you ever hear about uh, Google Stadia, that streaming service for gaming mm-hmm. that, you know, is going to be the latest thing that Google probably cancels? Yeah, I think um, it, I think it's already been announced that that's ending, right? I, I feel like I've heard <laughs> something about that. Yeah, but the thing is, all the companies are still, everybody is, everybody is investing in that. It's insane. Well, the reason I bring that up, because I just brought up the, you know, the predictive image encoding, um, like on the server side, the Google server or the whatever, It'll actually render if let's let's say you're playing a video game like oh look there's a bad guy I'm going to shoot him but maybe you don't shoot him right the system will actually uh, render different outcomes based on what it thinks you might do <laughs> and then it'll serve you the outcome of what you did to hide latency so wow. I'm I'm kind of wondering if if you're racing drones if they might be doing something similar like okay we don't need to transmit this low this low detail area we don't need to transmit that that we don't expect that's the sky it's a sunny day we don't expect that to change so we're not going to reencode that there's quite possibly a lot of pretty clever coding going on mm-hmm. and they're going to want to protect that <laughs> and yeah. also say well we have this investment in this clever code and yeah we get x mm-hmm. amount out of the camera but if we want to make even more we sell the whole drone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of uh, an important thing. I mean, it's kind of at what point is is it unreasonable? Because you know they've spent a lot of money developing this this system that the open source community has had like a go at, but it's no no nowhere kind of near there. Um, so you know, isn't it the Right to like make the money off of that that they've they've put into it. It just kind of sucks that you know they can, yeah. So if they have a really good product, they can use it to leverage sales of something new. And again, like you talk about, there's a homebrew community, but you know, there's a big difference. I mean, 
I'm just extrapolating, you know, my theory on how it might work. But if, if you have someone like, Oh, I'm just going to stream. Here's a camera. Here's bandwidth. Here's a receiver. I'm just going to stream data over that, just dumping the data or, but if they are doing something clever to basically give the impression of higher or lower latency, um, that kind of special sauce might be something that is, you know, a home brewer is going to do it nights and weekends where they don't have to mow the lawn or take their kids to dance recital versus somebody who's paid, you know, $200,000 a year to work on that 40 hours a week. Um, mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, you know, a home brewer isn't going to recreate Windows, you know, or Apple iOS. So, you know, there's there's a point where you might not be able to compete with large companies as far as that stuff's concerned, especially if they're doing, you know, fairly advanced image uh, software manipulation. And I guess on a similar point, um, I, I mean, earlier we were saying about, you know, if you drop something in the water and it's got the little pink dot, like, isn't isn't that reasonable that if you if you screwed up and dropped something in some water, then you're going to have to pay to get it fixed? Uh, not just that, but if it's like, oh, because, yes, you're like, unless you're trying to say, oh, I didn't drop it in water, and then they say that you didn't. But on, on the other hand, it's like, okay, this thing failed. So let's say, you know, they send the phone to, you know, China, and they've got like a 10-year-old kid trying to fix it. It's like, okay, what failed? Okay, well, this sense or this piece of paper indicates that it went into water. It's like, okay, since this phone went into water, that means X, Y, Z, Z, of Z, X, Y, Z could have failed, right? What's he like, saying? Z, Z, Z. By knowing, like, like if you crash your car into a brick wall or it goes into a lake, it's going to be damaged in different ways. So, yes, knowing that water was inside the unit is, it, it, it helps. You're like, okay, I'm not going to waste my time with these other things because water would, break these things so it can it can speed up the refurbishment process knowing the truth yeah yeah yeah. like water isn't going to destroy the screen but it could cause a battery charger to short circuit so yeah yeah, for instance yeah i mean although the conductivity of water is greatly exaggerated by hollywood (laughs) unless there's salty salty water (laughs) Mm, delicious um yeah, but for instance, it's, it's like a lot of this right to repair argument. I don't know whether you're familiar with uh, Linus Tech Tips, but they, oh, they, yeah. bought a, they, they bought a brand new one of the iMacs, uh, not, you know, not the M1 one. Yeah, uh, the big the big screen one. Yeah, right? the, yeah the very large ones. And they, um, Anthony, uh, like damaged the screen. And they went back to Apple and they were like, look, we damaged the screen. We'll pay for the repair. And they were like, ah, we, we can't repair that. And then, and then you go higher up the chain and they're like, no. And like half half the time is half the time it's just trying to get your stuff, you know, fixed, you know, as in like, for instance, um, I've got a little bit here about um recycling. Um let's, let's play a game. Any anyone got any ideas have a guess at how many tons of um of e-waste every every year in the uk throw throw some numbers out closest one waste e-waste or e E (laughs) e-waste okay what's e-waste is that just like electronics electronics electronic e-waste yep lots more than four quite a lot of phones to different places i mean how many millions um, of tons then one billion dollars tons. <laughs> no, six hundred thousand. 
No. Um, it's 1.5 million tons wow. of e-waste every do, year. Do you guys use pounds over there? I mean, the weight, not the dollar. I can't remember. No, we got pounds. Today. It's just getting confusing. We used to. So um, you, this would be a Small ton. A met- this would literally be a metric ton then? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So it's... um. Uh, yeah, it's it's very difficult to like almost like get things, like get parts and like maintain things and like stop it all just going to e waste. It's almost you're almost encouraged to like just buy new and replace. And uh, over over here, we've got like with especially with like everyone can kind of get their head around cars. Um, back you know back when I was like learning mechanics. Um, I was I was taught about, uh, you know, we've got like this sort of like law here that, you know, um, if you have work done within your warranty period and then you want to claim a warranty, they can't penalise you for using third party stuff that's been made within the specifications of OEM, you know, because there's no argument that, you know, just because this has got that car's brand sticker on it, that is not going to be as good or worse or better than the original OEM. And the way that um, they kind of divide the uh, divide the independent carriages is if, say, you know, you were, for example, uh, wanted to open a, a Ford repair shop, uh, you can do that as a franchise, and uh, but then they kind of give you hoops and hurdles to jump over. So you've got to have so many lumens of light for your um, for your technicians to work in, and you've got to have a set amount of lifts. So it's like opening a McDonald's. Yes, and I don't know whether you kept up with um, the McDonald's uh, ice cream machine saga. Oh, I've heard you... about it. Yeah, it's it's yes. Yeah. It's again. It's like, hey, look, we have we sell this much service time. You know, yeah. every every week or every month, and yeah, attached into their margins. Yeah, the machine. If you fill it a couple uh, a couple of mil over its max line, it won't reach its pasteurization cycle temperature, and therefore all all roads lead to call that call the guy. You know, or or, or female. And the 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 unfortunate thing is that, like, if you are a McDonald's. You're going to like okay, this thing sucks, but corporate says we have to use this machine, and you're just going to you're just going to roll that cost of the repair person coming into your overall budget. So to you, it's like okay, screw it. You know, the machine costs you this much, and the guy costs you this much, and so you you just look at that as one cost. So for a lot of people, they they probably don't even bother. You know, you see you see what I'm saying. As a business, you'd be like, oh, well, that's just the cost of doing business. But again, yeah, like if you had a car and you could only take it to a certain shop or have a certain type of technician work on it, then as, as a consumer, you'd be pissed off. But a business is probably, they have a hundred other things to worry about as well. So it's probably a good way to slip that in under the radar. Oh, and I had to look it up. Um, Imperial ton and metric ton is actually the same weight. What? Yes. Weird crossover. Yeah. But, 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 you know, you you mentioned the gallon is different. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so a ton here, like if you had like a two-ton truck, it's uh, 22, well, it's 2,240 pounds imperial. A metric ton is, well, actually makes more sense. It's 1,000 kilograms, which is 
approximately 2,200 pounds. So interesting. Well, we always say like metric ton. We just, we say that as a joke, like, Oh, I've got a, it's a metric ton of work or something like that. But interesting. In the UK, we're weirdly, we're a weird mix. Most of Europe, purely metric. Us in the UK, we like to talk about stones and pounds for weight. We talk feet and inches for height. All our road signs are in miles and miles per hour. Yeah. That, we'd call ourselves metric otherwise, which is just weird. Yeah. I, I went to the UK once, and I, it was weird to see the strange mix. <laughs> I did I did like how all of you things start with zero. That I, From an engineering standpoint, I like that, or programming. Like zero floor, zero train. I thought that was cool. <laughs> zero is a number. <laughs> Well, well, yes, value. yes. Um, the value. It's a gonna... logical <laughs> integer value. <laughs> I was actually dealing with that just yesterday. I was working on a pulse width modulation counter, and I'm like, am I causing an overflow of the period by going to zero instead of one on the counter? And I'm like, well, I could fix it by going to one, but I'm like, no, it has to start at zero. <laughs> yeah. um, shoot, I was going to – that reminded me of something else, but I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Um, well, wait. Well, I, I think I brought this up earlier, but yeah, like with the cars, people expect that, oh, you know, I can take, oh, yes, I remember what I was going to say. Yes, so you have like, you're talking about a Ford dealership or mm-hmm. like, you know, Joe Blow's car repair. Yeah. Um, so if, if, like, I don't, well, at least here in America, like if you're someone you're like, oh, my Ford is out of warranty, but I'm going to have it fixed at the Ford dealership. That's something that like really well off people do, you know, because oh, it's, it's going to cost you more. Holes. Just, oh, right, just send right. It the, send it to the dealer. <laughs> right, right. So if you're, because um, I, I have this friend and his, well, I think he's out of it now, but like his family is like, they have like this large Chevy dealership. And, you know, he'd always be like, oh, I'll take my car to the dealership to get this whatever done. It's like, woo, wow, big, big, big baller there. Um, but I'm just saying, normally, once your car's out of warranty, because of course it's in warranty. Who cares? You take it to Ford or Chevy or whoever or Tesla. But then once it's out of warranty, the average person who doesn't want to blow all their money will just take it to whatever shop because it's going to be a lot more reasonable. Actually, I had the problem with my car. I had to replace my muff. I have a Ford Focus wagon, which is made before 2010, so it's not like a roll-in computer, thankfully. Um, but uh, the muffler had a hole in it, right? So it was like. And I'm like, oh, I'll just replace the muffler or I'll get it replaced. Like, nope. From the engine all the way to the tailpipe, one piece. No way. Mm-hmm. What, so you're buying a catalytic converter? Correct. Um, everything, all yep. one piece. Yeah. Well, like, but the thing is, that kind of, makes, kind of makes sense from a cost point of view for the company because every different way that you no split crap. up an assembly – You've got to have another skew, and you've got to have more warehousing. You've got to have more logistics to do that. If there is somewhere a a factory that just assembles those things together, and they just buy that whole thing from them, yes, then why it, would they sell the individual parts? Well, That's, exactly. It makes sense for the factory, but you know, hmm. as like let's say I was like super poor, right? So something like a hundred dollar U.S. dollar, a hundred dollar muffler. I don't even know what they cost, but when I was a teenager, you know, we had cars. And we would, you know, you'd go out there with a hacksaw and you'd saw off the muffler and then you'd buy the pipe, fix, you know, <laughs> to connect it. Then you'd put the muffler in place. Then you put a bunch of coat hangers around it, you know. I'm just saying, like. It's no. going to be Philistine. Fake Bington, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, well, my point is, I, I don't, honestly, I don't know how much a muffler costs nowadays. It's probably 
gone up, but month, I don't know, it's a hundred bucks versus I think this cost me six hundred just for the part. It's a pretty big difference. I mean, it used it, yeah, yeah, you're right. It used to be pipe, flex pipe, catalytic converter, pipe. But yeah, yeah. but the thing, same thing. Oh, but, look, we've got to put a clamp there. Clamp there. Oh, that adds up. One piece done. Yeah. That, again, but just the, like the screws. The shipping of the one giant piece. Yeah. Oh, you know, you've mm-hmm. got to then hire a large shipping container and you've got to fit. Surely you can put them smaller into to Lego and you can sell different. Uh, like, yeah. You, you, only a certain truck can then deliver that extra long because essentially you're delivering a pipe that's the length of a truck. You know, I don't know if this is this probably isn't super proprietary, so I can talk about. Like, you guys probably know that I do stuff with pinball manufacture, right? Yeah, I've, okay. I've got I've got a bit of a dicey one regards Microsoft, and I'll mention a name. And if you just shake your head, I'll move on. Oh, well, I was just going to bring up something like from the <laughs> pinball stuff that we're working on. Yeah, right? carry on. So, yeah, like what I. Like this week, I've been finishing up firmware on the firmware. And I got to admit, we're going to have a closed source because the last time we did one, it actually got stolen by a company in China. Uh, that's, a, that's a big part of it, like intellectual property theft. Because well, I talked about talked to Lewis about this too. If you've got your chip, whether it's controlling a drone, an airbag, a pacemaker, you put the software onto it. And, you know, you can just go onto it and read the software off. Like... That Nintendo Game and Watch, I think I have one here someplace. Yeah, didn't you say like decompiling or something? You you told uh, re- re- disassembly. Yeah, disassembling. That's it. Oh yeah, here it is. Here it is. Yeah, so Nintendo released this little guy like last Christmas, or got Nintendo written on it. Ben, that means you're not allowed to touch it. Yep, but it's um all it is. It's a STM32 microcontroller. It's there's nothing yeah, special. You can right. you can you can buy this microcontroller anywhere, right? But what Nintendo, what you can do with the microcontroller is you can say, even though there's the port to read it, which they left the port. See, they had the pins out, so I just made a little adapter, right? But they, you know, anyone can read it. So what you can do as a manufacturer is you can actually set lock bits or even suicide bits. So saying, okay, if you try to read this chip, you won't get any data back. It'll be blank. Or if you try to read the chip, it'll erase itself. Like they, that that's a feature pretty much in every little microcontroller and whether or not a company enables it basically is just how big of a douche they are. So <laughs> in Nintendo's case, you couldn't read the f- code, but you could read the contents of the Ram and they thought that would stop hackers. Of course it didn't. So hackers just injected code into the Ram to create a buffer overflow and, o- and unlock the chip. But the Nintendo went after their YouTube channel, and like struck down their videos with copyright strikes because you're like, oh, you're, it's again, that's just an off the shelf microcontroller. It's like, I don't know, seven bucks. It's actually a pretty good chip. But then they're like, oh, but you affected our proprietary code. So even though, yeah, you would say as a consumer, I bought this, I should have the right to reprogram that chip. In this case, Nintendo doesn't think you have the right to do that. It really upset me that you cut the port the wrong side on that bit of plastic. <laughs> like that really. Oh, in my video. Well, I made up for it. I, I, well, I, I tried to make it look like it wasn't a mistake, but it was. Like, oh, how about an SD card slot? Okay, you are forgiven. I, I just want oh, to Oh, but know. no, you're right. I, I lucked out that that lined up because I, yeah, that was so stupid on my part. So stupid. 
I want to know if it's an STM32 uh, chip that we would recognize. Uh, is it an F- F7, F4, F3, F1, H7? Well, let me get my uh, <laughs> reading glasses on. <laughs> yeah, I have bifocals now. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. Could we flash beta flight to it? That is the question. Yeah. Well, just hold on. I, it's, an, it's an ARM Cortex M7. I know that. It is an STM thirty two H seven H seven. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fly. Will it fly? It's like Braille skateboard all over again. Next project <laughs> for Dominic Clifton. Oh wait, I have a few more numbers here. H seven B D V B T six. Okay. Yeah. Nothing to any of us. Your it'll it'll are... mean something to Mister Clean. So I should have just stopped at H seven, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So we've got, um, in latest news, to make it slightly relevant, um, we've got a buddy, uh, our friend Jack from DV3L, spells devil, but like in elite speak. Um, I get it. They, yeah, they've, they've managed to get USB um, digital, uh, like uh, video out from the, the goggles. And, and now they're worrying about, there's a whole, talk about it on uh, our buddy Joshua Bardwell's podcast mm. but um, maybe something Ben might want to check out because they speak about it in a lot more detail than we So do. they opened up a feature of the microcontroller that wasn't already there like USB exactly. Yeah um, it, So this is on the on the DJI goggles the HD goggles uh, so they previously actually released a little web app that would unlock something on your DJI goggles I can't remember what it was The geo um, code the geo lock Oh yeah um, and now they've just done another one that will also allow you to get HDMI out of your goggles so that you could put it on a on a screen and display it for someone else watching. Yeah, which was an original feature that was there from this expensive um, separate controller that had HDMI out. And I think it was a buffer overflow that like opens a port mm-hmm. for, the, for the USB and... As long as you had that code there that, that opens that port, then it would initiate sending the the, the video over. And uh, now everyone's like sat there waiting for DJI to release a firmware update where the drone has to have a firmware update and then it will then be incompatible with your goggles and then you have to update your goggles and then that, that feature will no longer work. <sighs> yeah, that's kind of... <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah, going back to this thing, it has a USB-C port just for charging. I mean, there's, there's this chip probably has at least one USB controller on it, if not two. So there's yeah. no reason they couldn't have had hook, have it hooked up to the USB port, but they didn't because, of course, that would make it even easier for hackers. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, there's. I mean, using any of those chips, like you know, that chip probably has a CAN bus too. So that chip could talk to a car if it wanted to. And there's yeah. tons of stuff in these chips. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, a lot. It comes down to firmware most of the time, and firmware is intellectual property. And as I, as I, you know, told Lewis, it's like, well, because I was, he's like, you sound like a right to repair opponent, and I'm like, well, I'm just saying this is what they would say in response. You know, it's like, it's like being a lawyer. You know, a good lawyer doesn't ask a question that they don't already know the answer to. Where were you on the night of June fifth? Well, you know that you're saying it for the jury to hear. Um, same thing. I was like, okay, well. Regarding a chip, this is what, you know, corporate lobbyists would say, oh, you know, our intellectual property is the software. In that case, you say, okay, all right, I don't want your software, but please sell me the chip with the software on it. You know, those kind of compromises, I think, is 
Hmm. Probably what we need to look at. Yeah, I, I think, you know, personally, I feel like a fair balance would be that if you're not selling the actual thing, the, the, the part that I want, at least let me know how to get it or make it or you know, find another way of doing it. And I think that's that's a reasonable thing. And in the same way that, you know, calm manufacturers, uh, you know, for 10 years after the last one, they have to make sure that there's uh, the spare parts available for that car. Um, I, you know, if I don't think we could do that for, you know, the GoPro because right. having all those little bits is, is going to work. But maybe you could say, you know, at least make sure that the drawing is available for that tiny little bit of spring steel or whatever it was. Um, or, or when you're done and you hmm. can't be asked for that anymore, yeah. then put it out and then be like, hey, you know, like you can buy the repair manual for us for like, you know, $3 and we're going to release schematics to this third party that we, we trust. If you guys want to make parts for as long as it's po- uh, possible, then do that. You know, because you're not going to make it anymore. Everyone else is going to going to make money from it. And yeah. Apple are kind of closing that ecosystem by kind of being like, yeah, we'll recycle it for you. And then they get all <laughs> their gold back that they, you've paid for. <laughs> yeah, and by recycle it, that means it ends up in a pile in the street in China. And eventually it or might... African. Yeah, it's a lot of it. It's it's very NIMBY, you know, not in my backyard. Like, oh, yeah, it's completely this is completely responsible e-recycling because we're piling it up in a different country or a poorer country. Yeah, uh, I was going to say I forgot what I was going to say regarding code or something. Uh, oh, yes. Um, part of the problem might be like, let's say, OK, here is our design from five years ago. Right. And here's our new design. So we want you to buy the new design. But if you want to repair the thing from five years ago, and as you suggest, oh, OK, well, let's make those schematics available, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is, the design from five years ago isn't probably going to be radically different from what they have now. So a chat. Well, I say challenge. One reason they might be against it is like, OK, well, if you get our designs from five years ago, you can basically make a clone and then you could actually improve that clone and then be kind of up to the level of what we're selling now. Yeah. And that, that's another issue because a lot of it, there is a lot of intellectual property theft happening in the, well, most of it's, you know, in China, like yeah. they'll build, they'll build yours during the day and theirs at night. And a lot of companies are really gun shy about that. And they, it's, I don't think, I don't think it's so much that they care about the hobbyists. Well, they're not, it's not like, Oh, these hobbyists are going to do this for profit. <laughs> they're kind they're worried about people. Oh, they've got the firmware. Now they can flash, you know, a thousand bootlegs. I think that's what they're concerned about. And it is a valid concern, but there needs to be a good balance where it also is, um, you know, good for the consumer. And as I told, again, as I told Lewis, um, if you're going at it from a political level, you got to push the green, the environmental, because all the politicians, they they have to be green, even like Republicans or Tories or whatever you have over there. They have to be like pro green. You know, they can't go like dump oil in their backyard and stuff. Right. Yeah. So if you, these politicians, they don't know. Most of them don't know anything about electronics. I don't know about you guys, but our politicians are freaking ancient. Um, but if you say green, it's like it's not green to throw this phone away. Like, oh, green. As an elected official, I have to be green. OK, well, I can work with that angle. So I think that's kind of the way to do it because it it isn't, it's, you know, throwing things away is, is not green because it's who knows where that's going to end up. And like, the thing is, yeah, you have to, in order to make, you know, like you talk about getting the gold, like retrieving the gold from something is a very laborious process. Some people do it just for fun, 
But in order to actually retrieve anything of value, you have to kick that product, get to kick, kick, keep kicking it down the economic scale of places to the point where, yeah, you have like little African kids. <laughs> that happens. I'll have like kids digging through yeah. piles of junk looking for the shinies. I mean, yeah, drama, but it actually happens. Yeah, burning the the um, isolation off a uh, off wires, like balling them up, burning it off, and then selling the copper. Which is also uh, not environmentally friendly because yeah, you're you're really incinerating. Bad. Yeah, you're and you're not incinerating even like oh, at least when you burn coal, it's for energy. Like you, they're just burning wires to get rid of it. Uh, yeah, so I think if you can make so, the idea, the ideally you keep that thing out of the trash for as long as possible. I mean, I, I, yes, eventually everything breaks, you know, except for maybe like you know some old engines or, or Toyota. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but the other thing is, well, I, I know you're in drones, but like, I think self, like if you talk about that e-waste, even though this, this doesn't weigh bugger all, I bet this is probably like 80% of the e-waste, at least for electronic devices. The companies got super addicted to selling you a $600 slab of glass that you can break by looking at it wrong. Right. Um, so I, you can buy a $500 TV It'll last you 10 years. This will last you maybe two, right? So this breaking is good for the bottom line and not being repairable. And that's that's kind of a, a, a wasteful addiction that all these companies have. And there's a reason why Apple's a trillion-dollar company is because, yeah, people buy $600 things that they can break that easy. Mm. And yeah. mm. I don't know. We, we remote's done a lot for the uh repair you know damaging <laughs> off tvs the who oh the wii remotes <laughs> yeah to be fair they also did a, a really good job of basically starting our entire hobby so yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, wii, the wii remotes yeah the uh so the very kind of the uh the gyroscopes and accelerometers in the early remotes um or right. at least the nunchucks that came with it were kind of fairly fundamental to the hobby level grades of flight controllers um they were kind of the oh yeah like the nunchuck the nunchuck mm. was just an i squared c device it was very easy to yeah exactly so it, even the kind of the the very well, not the very first but one of the early flight controller software types that is kind of branched off a lot of what we still use uh, was called multi-wii and so that that's kind of that multi-wii phrase is still in in the software in bits and places i think it's weird to think about, but yeah, the Wii was what, yeah, 15 years ago, and that was before everyone had a phone in their pocket. So, yeah, at that time, it's kind of interesting, like how like these things all have you know accelerometers and gyroscopes, but that's not really used a whole lot. But back when the Wii came out, that was all the rage. So, and that's good because yeah, you're like oh look, I can interface this nunchuck, and that helps hobbyists understand things easily. And then when you have something popular like the Wii, you know, there's a like hundred million Wii nunchucks out there, so. Guess what? There's going to be a lot of people who have access to it, and we'll be able to figure it out because it's it's common. I'm just trying to look for the little DIY KK2 that David made with the separate accelerometers that were placed at different angles for <laughs> pitch rolling. <laughs> oh man, I am. We're, we're, I'm, we're I'm interested in, in um, what you talk about, Ben, with that that little game and watch, and and sort of you know hacking it a bit and and doing stuff with the firmware. Where do you stand on the sort of 
you, you buy something and I'm thinking very much sort of the homebrew community with consoles. Like if you look at the original Xbox that was hacked to death and people putting out some really nice software mm-hmm. and the 360 and the PS4. Where you sort of stand on the fact that like I own this, so if I want to sort of hack about with it and try and develop my own firmware for it, that should be allowed because it kind of crosses over, you know, things like Sony trying to yeah, firmware your property and you sort of developing your own sort of hacks to to make it run your own homebrew if you want. So you saying you saying firmware or software? I'm not saying firmware specifically. I'm saying um, people using exploits to run their own code essentially. Well, I will say that we're, I mean, I brought up, you know, giant mega corporations a couple of times. Microsoft is actually one of the more open ones, which sounds contradictory, but it's actually kind of true. I know maybe if there's any Linux people here, they're probably grinding their teeth. Um, I I, want to say, I want (laughs) to desperately, desperately say that um, surely Eric, you know of his second name, Eric Lunger. Green would disagree. <laughs> well, I, I, I think of this because um, you mentioned game consoles and, and firmware. Uh, you can go and buy, like, you get, like, the Xbox One or what's the new one called? Xbox Series X. Stupid name, by the yeah, way. No one can get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody can, yeah. Um, but, yeah, actually, like, yeah, the Xbox One or the Xbox One, they're basically the same thing once it's upgraded. You can actually go on the App Store on that console, and you can actually download for free developer mode, and it will actually put your console into developer mode, and you can run, you can make your own games and run them. And it's actually provided by Microsoft, which is actually really cool. So if you wanted to just make a homebrew Xbox One game, you can. It's completely legal and actually, yeah, sanctioned by the company. Whereas Nintendo, even though they've got all the cute, you know, Pokemons and whatever, they're like just yeah, not DIY, so friendly. DIY mobile. Oh wow, that's old school. That's an old uh, Arduino yeah. Nano. Looks like. Yeah. No. Yeah. And then we made the multi Wii boards with the the little chips on there. Um, well, I've got a personal <laughs> question though for you, Ben. Do you? like watch and enjoy big clive who's big wait it sounds familiar can you what do you mean who's big get him off Off. it's a youtuber right yeah he's um yeah he's the scottish guy who who lives in uh, the isle of man big clive i'll have to look live live his name sounds familiar i I will i will say i will say at least here in the States, we love YouTubers with accents. So you've all got an advantage with that <laughs> or Australia. Uh, also, you're like, you know, like, Oh, I've got, I'm going to fix this computer. You know, yes. EEV blog. Yes. Yes. I always or love Adrian's digital basement. You must watch him. Oh yes. I do watch yeah. his. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's British too, right? No, man. He's, he's from Kanakistan. Oh, I can't keep it straight. I think like half of YouTube is also actually Canadian. A lot of people think I'm Canadian. I am. Well, I am in Wisconsin, which is pretty close to Canada. Yeah, it's just stone throw <laughs> over the border. Yeah, yeah. It's just swim over the world's largest lake, and you're there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I'll, I'll have to look up Big Clive. You know what? I have to go do some programming after this. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll put that on my other what, monitor. Yeah. There's two things he does, like um, live podcasts every Saturday called Big Clive Live. But his main channel is Big Clive, and he does the Doobie Lamps, where you know you hack, you hack like the 
LED bulbs and sort of lower output and they last longer. Oh, yeah. yeah I think I have seen that. It's, it's it's like a hands channel with like a wooden mm. bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like big live, live. Yeah. These. Okay, I think I have seen that. Yeah. Or he'll be like, "Here's a dodgy uh, LED bulb, the <laughs> yeah. power shower unit, or all, all of those. Good fun." I had yeah. I, I had a couple light bulb. My LED bulbs go out here, and and I I undid the the whatever the lid of the lamp, and then I pulled out the bad bulb, and you know, it's LED bulb, and there's a crack in the side of it. And it's like three year warranty. I'm like, oh, that's exactly how long this lasted. <laughs> mm. yeah. I, I was actually thinking about being like one of those kind of YouTube. I was actually going to put it in my lathe and then like <laughs> saw the bob open with my lathe. Yeah. It's like stupid YouTube crap. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, did yeah. you guys have any other uh, questions for me or any besides the big we're, live? We're, thing? we're so over, over time. <laughs> any. Curry, have you got. We can, t- we can chat to you after this anyway. So you can stay on. Oh, I actually I gotta go program as soon as yeah. we're done here. Oh, I got no I got I got a current sensing. I'm working on a, a current ADC current sensing sampler. Right. I really messed it up. Um it was so stupid. I changed it was an arm, so you had to set up all the clocks. Uh I changed the boot clocks for more better boot efficiency, but I forgot that I had a, the wrong clock hooked up to the ADC, the analog digital con- converter. So I was driving the ADC with a 32 kilohertz clock with a 32 divider on it so my adc uh, sample rate went from, went from like 300,000 hertz to 1000 because i screwed it up so yeah. i am so i'm in the process of fixing it yeah um uh make me labs in the in the comments as well caroline says yeah clive got a um he got a ave you know adrena versus evil mm-hmm. you know like you, yeah he got an x-ray hammer for getting into into components <laughs> or as, as uh, we call it in the automotive, uh, per, uh, percussive uh, instrument. Percussive maintenance. Yep. Um, right. Uh, if you guys have enjoyed what we've been talking about, check out Lewis Rossman. Uh, check out uh, Rich Rebuilds. Check out Ben Ben Channel. What are you Ben hacking? Uh, it's on? on YouTube. I my, I just took my old channel that I had even yep. before I did the show. It's Ben Hack hacks and i make a video every couple of weeks but yeah no and, longer and, on a schedule that was i had enough of that for eight years <laughs> yeah uh he's you know i mean even just go there for bud content and and please give that little fluffy boy some some treats for me please oh but actually um, lewis's videos is where i learned about greenies which cats do absolutely love yes yes i got my buddy onto that as well um uh, yeah definitely and and check out big clive and if you uh, agree with right to repair and you want to want to help i've donated personally um we will paste the link in the description and um yeah so if you can su- uh, support the the movement because i think it's uh, very much gonna affect all of us at some point and um thanks ben for coming on and teaching us about stuff and being a great guest thank you and, and we learned about metric tons so <laughs> yeah thanks for having me thank you um yeah stay in touch with the show and yeah if you if you can if you like or put up with mm. our you'll love big live lives live streams <laughs> be walking the park compared to this well big live clive is pretty easy to remember yeah 
Uh, thank you. You you've been joined by everyone's favourite Lord and Master, Andrew Slash Rank. Bye. Uh, my little Tony. Hi, Jack's mum. <laughs> uh, Blue Owl, did you learn anything today? I did learn tons of things. <laughs> Still processing them all. Yep. Everyone's favourite curry kitten. Goodbye. And Ben Heck. Next time. And I've been bright until I fly. Thank you guys. Good night. Thank you to all our patrons. Bye. Telemetry lost.